Yeah, it's been a wild week. I mean, this was... And we didn't talk about the big guy. I avoided his name on purpose. Who's the big guy? Oh, if I tell you... <laughs> I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll cut this out, but who's the big guy? Trump, obviously. Oh. <laughs> we did a whole episode that wasn't about Trump. Oh. And he did insane things this week. Uh, yeah, I just... I can't. I can't with his insane bullshit anymore. I know. I just can't do it. <laughs> it's just the fact that we actually got away with having a whole episode without him. Uh, well, next time. Hello and welcome to Beach Pod, a Georgia politics podcast. My name is Kyle Hayes and I'm your host and I'm joined as always by my good friend Luke Boggs. Luke, happy crossover day to you today. Happy crossover day to you. I'm sad I'm not there physically. I'm there in spirit though. Me too, although I'm happy that I will go to bed probably much sooner than midnight. Uh, Unlike many of the legislators and aides and lobbyists at the Capitol tonight, um, but since today is crossover day, we're not actually talking about what's going on at, uh, for crossover day. We are going to discuss some of the bills that made it through the crossover hurdle next week, um, and what to look forward to during the last stretch of the legislative session. Uh, but for this week, we are going to discuss, uh, house bill 918. This is the bill that, uh, Republicans are pushing that would significantly decrease state taxes. And it's a bill that has uh, kind of become a sudden political firestorm because part of that bill is a jet fuel tax cut for Delta and other airlines of the Atlanta airport. Um, and if you've uh, had any access to your Twitter account in the last 48 hours, you would have seen Casey Cagle uh, and Michael Williams blowing up about this Twitter debacle about them and the NRA in the wake of the Parkland shooting. Um, and so it's created a big political mess at the Capitol. Uh, fittingly on crossover day today was probably the most exciting day of the session so far. Um, so Luke, what's our second topic this week? Our second topic is uh, my conversation with John Knoll, who is running for public service commissioner in District 3. It's very strange that's district because it's actually statewide. They put them in districts for whatever reason instead of uh, seats. But regardless of that, um, it was a really fun conversation, and I really enjoyed talking to John. I think he has a lot of interesting insights about what the public service commissioner commission does and if it's uh, a office that you've never thought about he will give you plenty of reasons that you should be thinking about it and i really really enjoyed that talk and so i hope you guys will as well yeah i'm excited to hear that conversation uh but let's start with uh the big tax bill that's now become kind of the biggest story out of the legislative session so this bill is house bill 918 um, and last week it was introduced in the House. It was introduced at a big press conference with all of the legislative leaders, uh, Governor Deal, Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle, and House Speaker David Ralston were all there to introduce this bill. And it was really sort of, I think, the uh, big ticket item for the Republicans this session. Um, and this bill stems from the tax reform that happened in Washington, uh, the Republican-led tax reform in D.C., And the reason that that's connected to this is because the changes in federal tax law create a windfall for the state where the state would take in more tax revenue than they would without the law. And Republicans felt some pressure from uh, their conservative flank and from the base to pass this windfall along as tax cuts. 
uh, to Georgians instead of investing that in uh, our education, our healthcare, or any other the big problems that we've been talking about in the show for a long time. But this bill is interesting, and it's kind of become the center of a political firestorm, both because of, uh, at least in my opinion, because it receives some bipartisan support, and it also includes in it uh, the Delta jet fuel tax credit that that we'll get to in a second. Uh, but just some of the details about the bill, it includes taxes to both the personal and corporate tax rates in Georgia. Um, there's a two-step reduction in the personal income tax rate, the, the top end of that tax rate, it drops from 6% uh, down to 5.5% once both steps are taken. Um, and then the, it also doubles the state standard deduction. Um, and so this is anticipated to uh, give tax cuts to all Georgians, but the bulk of these tax cuts, uh, according to the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute, uh, the bulk of these tax cuts are going to go to the wealthy through surprise that, through that reduction in um, the, the state's top tax rate. Uh, so it is not that different at all from what the ultimate impact of tax reform in Washington was going to be. It showers the rich in uh, plenty of new money and um, and gives the, the middle class and uh, people with low incomes much less. Uh, Luke, what do you think about the speed of this process? This bill was introduced um, last week, and then 48 hours later, it had passed the House. It's kind of slowed down a little bit while it awaits votes in the Senate, and I'm sure is kind of tied up in this crossover day mess. Um, but this is a huge change to Georgia's revenue structure, and it's something that the House did without uh, much thought or debate at all. Well, welcome to the General Assembly. Uh, this is standard operating procedure for any other really large bills. They're going to come out of nowhere and seem like they didn't exist until they you know materialized into the hopper but knowing this this assembly as i've watched it it's probably been something they've been talking about for a while it's sort of surprising for me that they did this because of the fact that uh, governor deal on many occasions had been like let's not touch our touch our taxes so i'm kind of confused that we are touching our taxes and you know i've just been quite surprised honestly that it went this route um I, I think I think it really just shows what you were talking about earlier was that this is just them feeling the pressure to do something based off what uh, DC did. But I think it's really a pretty big mistake because, you know, people can have your grievances with the current government. I have many. Uh, we've talked about them many, many times before. But like one thing that we have managed to do is to hold on to you know, the budgeting of the state in a way where it's been responsible and in a way that like we have wanted to see more spending from the government, but we have at least not been completely reckless with our spending. And I think this is a step in the absolute wrong direction because there are so many things that we're currently underfunding that we need to be funding at a higher level. And this will only exacerbate that problem and not help it in any way, shape, or form. And as we mentioned already, this this break is going to go to people that really don't need it, and it's not going to help us meet the needs that we do have, like fully funding the QBE, which we talk about too much, or expanding Megacade, or any of the other things that uh, we really need to see in Georgia. So, yeah, I'm that. That's kind of where I'm coming from on it. Yeah, it's interesting. Governor Deal has kind of been the bulwark standing in the way of these uh, reckless tax decreases, especially sudden ones. 
Um, he's spent a lot of his tenure trying to ward that off because he has talked about the need to protect Georgia's AAA bond rating and to keep up the investments that make the state the number one state to do business for five years in a row. I've memorized the talking point by now, too. Um, and so I was I was kind of surprised that he went really quickly from saying, I mean, he had said publicly that the state needed to to take a longer view of this and see if some of these uh, some of the state's windfall would actually materialize. Uh, the, what these are are essentially ballpark estimates right now. Um, and and they're ballpark estimates because the tax law itself was massive and, and kind of confusing. And the reason that we have a windfall is because there's some interaction between tax law in D.C. and tax law in Atlanta. And so it you know, we're estimating what the impact is going to be, but it's hard to know exactly what the impact's going to be. And then the second reason that this is potentially reckless uh, from state leaders is that there is a possibility that there is a recession or an economic slowdown around the, the corner. Um, I got interested and I, I looked back at uh, some of the old state budget reports, the governor's budget reports, they um, get introduced at the beginning of every session, and they always have an economic report in them that kind of gives sort of your top line assessment of what the economy looks like. And it was as late as fiscal year 2009, which uh, that budget came out in January of 2008, that the budget report was starting to recognize that the Great Recession was coming, and the Great Recession would deliver a massive blow to state revenue because of the economic slowdown, um, or really the economic collapse. And it was in, in January 2008, this FY 2009 budget report, it said that the state revenue may take a hit, but it ultimately may not be that big, and it may be able to rebound, and that some of the decreases in, in revenue had material, had sort of stabilized. Um, you know, right now we've been in I think the longest period of sustained positive economic growth uh, since the Great Depression, I think, um, or maybe it rivals the 90s. I don't, they're pretty close, but you know, we don't have a lot of advance notice of an economic slowdown, but in the event of an economic slowdown, it would reduce the revenue that the state takes in and some of this windfall may not ultimately materialize. And so that was reason to be cautious. Um, and it was interesting. I found a couple of quotes in Washington Post just the last week uh, from folks on Wall Street saying that there was a, a chance of an economic slowdown or a recession prior to the 2020 election, um, that some of this could happen as soon as 2019. And so, you know, I, I'm kind of shocked that we, you know, in 48 hours, just like quickly decided uh, that that this was a good idea uh, when we haven't really taken a really detailed look and and had a full debate on on what the impact of these tax cuts would be. Well, I mean, my first reaction to that is I, I doubt that, that it was just 48 hours. I, I'm, I'm sure that the governor's mansion had been in negotiations with other parts of the government's leadership for a while on it. However, it didn't go through the legislative process in the way it should, and it didn't get the full lag of day or scrutiny that it deserves. Um, I, I, I think if there's a theme for this episode for the, you know, the two portions that are just you and I talking, it's political miscalculation. Uh, Cause I think that's what's at the root of this is that governor deal has, as we discussed earlier for a long time, kind of been the, I'm not going to mess with the taxes. I'm going to make sure our rainy day fund is full and happy. And I'm going to, 
make sure we keep our AAA bond rating, yada, yada, yada. And for whatever reason, he seems to think that the pressure to alter the tax landscape of Georgia is really high and that maybe he's thinking that um, if Casey Cagle or anyone else uh, comes in as the next governor, they will have like more pressure to cut taxes if they didn't do this and that the deal that they might cut would be more irresponsible than the irresponsible deal that he's cutting. I mean, that's kind of the only like game theory thought I've been able to put together on like why they're doing this because it just seems so incredibly inconsistent compared to what deal wanted to do before and so for that reason i've i've just been very very confused as to where like where he's coming from on this and where it's going and why they're doing it other than it seems politically like a good idea the only other idea that i have on it is that they and we've talked about this before the you know during this session they have seemed like pretty like freaked out. Like they seem that they are not pushing the red meat bills that they usually push during election years. And I think this was potentially again, another form of political miscalculation that's bigger than just uh, governor deal in that, like we have to have something to campaign on. And they thought this would be a good thing to campaign on uh, rather than uh, campaigning on, you know, nothing or some far right bill that would actually get them less votes. So, I mean, that those are the only two possibilities I really see. And it's probably some mixture of the two plus some third thing I'm not thinking about. Yeah. I mean, I think to a certain extent, Deal's decision in this is somewhat confusing. But if you sort of move Deal from standing in the way of tax cuts to supporting them, then it becomes very clear that there's a broad conservative coalition that wants these that wants these tax cuts. I mean, this is part of the debate that's going to happen in the governor's race, and there's a lot of conservatives that are upset that we've had a long period of Republican rule in Georgia ever since they took over from the Democrats, and we haven't made significant reductions in our state income tax. And, you know, they came out uh, touting this as the biggest... Uh, state income tax cut in the state's history. Um, and so so there's definitely an appetite for this from the right. It was just that Deal and some of the more moderate Republicans were standing in the way of this. Um, so I don't know, that's that's confusing, but, but somewhat, uh, you know, you can kind of work through that. But let's talk about the Democrats because, yes. oh boy, oh holy boy. shit. Uh, I went from confused to very upset, uh, particularly on Twitter, because when I finally got around to looking at the vote sheet for this bill, it turns out that at least a couple of House Democrats voted for this. A couple is, uh, is, is not the right word. It, see, it seems like it's more than a couple. seems like it's... what was We, we debated what, what we should say. So it's like two dozen? About two dozen? Oh, did I not say a couple dozen? Yeah, it was a couple yeah. dozen. Uh, yeah. Something like uh, 20 or so. Yeah, I, w- I was just incredibly shocked that this got Democratic support. I mean, the after uh, this bill came out, the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute put out their analysis, and their analysis shows that this bill would cost state revenue about $1.4 billion a year, and that 
the value of that money, what you could do with that, you could do tuition free technical college, you could do Medicaid expansion, you could fill the QBE gap that's been open for the last two decades, you could do needs based college aid, you could do a state earned a state earned income tax credit, and you could do universal child care. All of these things are things that Democrats have talked about that they support, at least in principle. And yet when it's come to the when it's come to when Democrats need to stand up to protect the revenue that could be used for these programs, at least a couple dozen Democrats folded and supported the bill. And so I was like left completely shocked by whatever the hell this was, because this is something that Democrats have said that they've supported in the past. And then now when you get a big tax cut rolling in, they just rolled over and folded. Like, what the hell is going on with these votes, Luke? Why why would Democrats vote yes on some, such a reckless and irresponsible bill? Well, I'm not I'm not going to defend it. I'm just going to give you my my uh, impression of their very bad reasoning, which is I I have heard inklings that there were some Democrats in a certain county that got a deal, and that's that's why. They vote for it, and then everyone else, if, if that's not the case, because, I mean, usually when you see some defections, it's because someone got a deal. Like, that that's almost always, like, why? And it's almost always a bad deal. It's always a deal that's like, I'm going to give you a toaster, and you're going to give me, you know, $500 million in tax cuts. <laughs> you know, that's that's basically, and they'll be like, yeah, great, great deal. Um, and then, you know, one, once some people broke away, other people saw an opportunity to, you know, improve their chances for re-election. Because if you look at who ran, it's not the super entrenched Democrats and in incredibly gerrymandered districts. It's the ones on the uh, borders. And so, you know, for for whatever reason, people like have not figured out that you cannot win if you are afraid. And this is a this is a vote of people who are afraid that Republicans will be able to say that they voted against a tax cut and that will automatically make them lose. It won't. And the thing is, it's frustrating to me and it pisses me off because some of the people that voted for this are people that I've seen make very good arguments for all those policies that we talked about that we want to see get done. And I don't think it would be that hard for them to go out and say, yeah, I voted against this tax cut, but that's so we could fund and then just go down the list of everything we could fund. It's not that hard to message it. And it, it makes us seem ideologically weak and inconsistent that they're able to pick off Democrats so easily every time. Every time they have a bill like this, they get about, you know, 12 Democrats that are willing to to go along with it for whatever reason. And that's just, it's unacceptable. It's not going to be able to uh, get us to victory or a majority if we keep doing that because it makes us just seem like we don't know what we're talking about we're not ready to actually lead the stake if we're not willing to make some political sacrifices and take a hard stand yeah i mean i'm sorry for some of these democrats that they're not in the low tax party if you want to be in the low tax party go become a republican but the thing that bothers me is how long have we talked about Medicaid expansion? How many groups of Democratic lawmakers have made Medicaid expansion their number one ask, held press conferences in the House press room, and put Medicaid expansion in their support of it on top of everything that they produce? What they need to understand is these programs cost money. And that the reason that we fight for these programs is because they deliver benefits to low and middle income people that we say that we want to stand up for. 
And you cannot stand up for these programs without standing up for the revenue that is required to fund them. It is obnoxious. And the thing that pisses me off even more is that this bill is anticipated to cost about $1.4 billion a year, but the windfall from federal tax reform was only about $900 million. So a little over uh, a third of this bill, a third of the money that's going out the door in the form of tax cuts instead of programs that could help the people that Democrats claim to represent, has nothing to do with federal tax reform. And so they didn't take that opportunity to stand up and say that not only are they robbing the piggy bank on a, on a windfall that we don't know whether or not it's going to come, but they're adding another $500 million on top of it that has nothing to do with the tax reform. And that what the Democrats need to lay out is that this is about priorities. You either choose tax cuts for rich people or you choose programs that help lower and middle income people. Those are the options. And so we're not happy <laughs> to me. It's like, so which side do you want at this point? That's the thing that like blows my mind is that there was extra money there. There was, I mean, I, I get that the windfall might be a little bit difficult to make that point on, but there's more money than the federal windfall. And that's the thing that I just like blew my gasket the other day on Twitter about, uh, because this is about priorities, and sometimes you have to stand up for what you believe in. And it, to be honest with you, some of these new Democrats that are in these 50-50 seats, taking the stand may cost you your seat. But when you know, what are you here for if you're not here to stand up for these programs, particularly some of these people that came in on this new blue wave that's kind of been building, and, and it's all about opposing Trump and Republicans in Washington. I mean, Democrats in Washington, who, you know, every Democratic socialist and every sort of person outside of the core of the Democratic Party gets pissed off at for their failure to have a backbone most of the time, they mustered up their opposition to tax reform in D.C. They even got Joe Manchin and uh, and Doug Heidi Jones Heidkamp. to vote against it. And Heidi Heitkamp, it got no Did Democratic she? support. Yeah, I was a... <laughs> and... And, and this is something that is not acceptable among Democrats, in my opinion, that if, if you're not going to stand up for these programs and these priorities that you claim to have, and you're not going to stand up for the revenue to fund those things, then I don't know what you're standing for. And you may as well vote for these tax cuts. But, you know, that's what well, Republicans I mean, do. The problem is that, unfortunately, in the state of Georgia, there really has not been an actual opposition party. There has not been a real Democratic party to hold these folks accountable because, in my opinion, I'm not a state rep, but just talking to them and seeing them make decisions like this, what it seems this is, is that they make a decision to do what was better for them as an individual member and what would make it easier for them to run for re-election rather than what would give us the political high ground and moral high ground to talk about these issues and they don't realize how much each one of their votes weakens our ability to do that because now they have turned this into a bipartisan piece of legislation and luckily from what it seems the senate is going to change this thing which means it's going to come back to the house before it actually passes and goes to the governor and as long as that holds true then all these folks have an opportunity to you know make the right decision after making a mistake and you know i i am i am not so uh hard-headed and 
stupid to to think that you know in the high pressure of being in the legislature that you don't make a mistake every once in a while when you're voting uh, of course on these bills and as we mentioned and let's be fair this thing kind of came out of nowhere and so maybe somebody made a mistake and so um i think this is an apt time to encourage uh certain legislators to uh, reconsider their decision um when it comes to this well, Wesley Tharp at GBPI set a new land speed record on getting their analysis out on this bill. So I know that this was quick, but you know there there was information there for, for people that wanted to find it. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not on the primary everybody train like, like some on the far left are. Um, you know, I... And I certainly like I'd wouldn't. Say, I'd say take, don't do that either. But just like get a good answer of why they're doing this, because right now we don't have one. Besides our very cynical, they think it will make Republicans like them more, and it won't. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the Republican side of this. The, the Democrats benefit a little bit from the Republicans also turning this into a shit show, because otherwise I would have just yelled about them the whole episode. Um, this became a nationally recognized hot topic, uh, because of Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle. Uh, he sent out a tweet the other day saying that he would block any tax reform that would benefit Delta after Delta decided that they would cut a marketing deal that they had with the National Rifle Association that allowed some of the NRA members to get discounted rates on Delta flights. Um, interestingly enough, this was not taking a benefit away. I don't know. This was this was not not allowing NRA members on your planes. This was you're not going to get a travel discount. I mean, I don't get a travel discount from Delta, so I don't know why NRA members do. Uh, but anyhow, uh, Cagle tweeted out that he was not going to allow any tax bill that benefited Delta to go through. Um, there was some rumblings that I saw that this was because not necessarily Cagle grew a backbone and wanted to take on the state's largest employer, uh, but that he found that he did not have the votes in his own Senate Republican caucus to pass the broader tax bill without the Delta or with the Delta jet fuel tax credit in it. And so he uh, decided to come out against it and, and create a show for himself because he didn't have the votes from his caucus. Um Luke, what did you think about uh, Cagle's tweet and and some of this conversation that's emerging about um, Cagle impeding the state's reputation as the number one state to do business? Well, that's a that's a very leaking question, Kyle. Um, but <laughs> I read your tweets. I, I thoroughly agree with it. So luckily, you know, I will roll right into it. But yeah, I mean, it's just like it's so bizarro, like to see Cagle do this. And it's so obvious why he's doing it, because I think I think it's 100 percent true what you said that like Cagle didn't have the votes to do this. And, you know, K- Casey Cagle is proving himself to be uh, not a politician with a backbone at all and that you know if if marco rubio has no backbone like kegel has one but it's just like mostly gelatin um and it's just like kegel thought he could get away with it he thought that he could you know they're not gonna pass it anyway so he could make delta look bad and make himself look good and engender himself to the georgia Kerry folks and you know try to gain some points on the far right and what he didn't realize is that like everyone watches his Twitter and that people, you know, beyond the gun lobby, uh, watches Twitter and that it 
Lang, when I read it, it just like seemed very inauthentic. Like it just very much seemed like this is this is not a case of Kegel. This is this is stupid, and it seemed really really stupid, and it seemed desperate because it just seemed like pandering. I I can't imagine Kegel's slow accent that kind of drips like molasses out of his mouth, like screaming about the NRA and Delta. Like right. it's just not him at all. It's right. kind, it's and, and, not. I mean, it's not really Michael Williams if you've ever seen him in person either. Uh, or or heard him talk. It's not like the the like internal rage of like Donald Trump, but I guess when you do it on Twitter, uh, people can infer your tone. Yeah, I, I I guess I guess what makes me think about it because I don't want to um, insinuate that I think that Kegel like sincerely wouldn't do this. I think it's the opposite. I think it makes it even worse is that even though like this does not sincerely seem like the position of Casey Cagle deep in his heart, I sincerely believe if he was governor, he might co- you know, cow down to this kind of pressure. And I, you know, I mean, he's let Rifra bills get out of his chamber multiple times. And so I, I thoroughly believe that even though this is not his like, organic position that he is so spineless that he would do something this stupid and this is some you know this is the exact type of thing that got north carolina in trouble and had a lot of people you know a lot of businesses pull out and a lot of the sporting events pull out and the thing that i just cannot fathom at all is how anyone in casey cakel's orbit would be so dumb to think that this would be a good idea to do when we're trying so hard against it or for it to get Amazon to come here, like it's very obvious that like the position of the Georgia government is we would like Amazon to be here. And there's lots of good arguments for why we would. And if you think that the people in, in Seattle that run Amazon are going to look at that tweet and be like, yeah, Georgia seems like a great place for us to go. Um, no, they're not going to think that because Amazon is, you know, one of the many places where you cannot buy a gun. Is Casey Cagle going to say that now Amazon has to sell guns to come to Georgia? Like, you know, it's just like that obviously is a ridiculous premise. But when he has shown himself to have such a little spying, it just seems so stupid. It seems so stupid. And that's what makes it just amazing to me. And then the other part of it is, and I mentioned this in, in my very uh, <laughs> uh, fired up intro into this topic. Like, I have not seen any comment from anybody running for governor in Georgia actually, like, break through at all. Like, no one has said anything. Like, the Michael Williams things have kind of, like, just a little bit in some of my circles, and we kind of laugh at them, but, like, no one's really cared. We're taking it seriously. And people are taking this really seriously, and people are really, really talking about it. And, I mean, I, I saw, a, like, Colbert show segment on it and this is like colbert's if colbert's talking about it you know like that that's that's worth something it's funny because this whole bill has like pissed me off more than anything i think the legislature's ever done and what pissed me off even more was that what overtook the conversation about how reckless this tax cut is is this stupid tweet about his threat to delta now i think i disagree with you a little bit and that i actually don't think that if Kago were governor that he would actually be uh, bending to the pressure on the guns issue. I think he would probably be doing what uh, Deal is doing right now and trying to negotiate a truce between Delta and the conservative flank. Uh, But I I think in his heart of hearts, uh, Cagle is just fine with letting uh, $40 million go out the door to Delta to uh, subsidize their jet fuel. Um, And so that's why it, it seemed like 
super transparent to me and it, and it seems stupid because this is just another one of these culture war issues that is like meant to rile up Republican primary voters, but ultimately doesn't mean much in, uh, in a legislature and, and with a governor that ultimately is not going to act on these things. But the, the one thing that I noticed out of this is that Cagle, Clay Tippins, Brian Kemp, and Michael Williams have all come out and blasted this uh, this cut for Delta in response to the NRA thing. And so when you're looking at the field of Republicans, Hunter Hill, I think, is the only one that hasn't said something about this. And, you know, you're looking at, I think, an increased possibility if the next administration is a Republican administration of having some sort of embarrassing moment like you saw in North Carolina or Indiana, because there does not seem to be, you know, the the business minded business supporting streak out of these four when when the conservative base comes, you know, screaming at them. And so <laughs> if, so I had well, originally like if, only, if only there is a solution like, oh, yeah, <laughs> electing a Democrat governor in the state of Georgia, that 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 is the solution to this problem. Well, thank God, both both Stacey Evans and Stacey Abrams in a in a forum last week said that they were opposed to this tax bill. Um, so at least they didn't take the route of their colleague, their Democratic colleagues in the House. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and support this thing. Yeah, well, and also we, we do need to point out more Democrats vote against it than for it, and I do want to give the House majority that uh, yeah, benefit. Yeah, and, and it's also worth noting, uh, David Dreyer, I think he did this in the well, I saw this on Twitter, but he did lay out that that this was about choosing priorities. I mean, I mean there are some Democrats that this is not lost on, um, I was just shocked that there were you know, a couple dozen Democrats that it was lost on. Um, but, you know, I don't I don't think that this is a broad position in the party. Um, and I this could turn out to be one of those things in a few years. The you know, the spat between uh, Stacey Evans and Stacey Abrams over what Democratic leadership has allowed and, and when Democrats have gone on with Republicans on uh, things that uh, liberals and progressives don't like. And uh, I also saw on the AJC that uh, Stacey Evans is kind of taking a step further and she's actually asked Chris Carr to like look into if this is like technically extortion or bribery. <laughs> now, do you think that there's any teeth to that? Because that's the part of this. There was a lot of, you know, like national liberal Twitter was all, oh, I can't believe that business minded conservative Casey Cagle is threatening a state as is threatening the state's largest employer and the number one state to do business. And I just like, I don't know. I I think that it's only political posturing and I'm sure that there's somebody in Kegel's orbit that kind of tapped the Delta lobbyist on the shoulder and was like, eh, don't worry about it. It's fine. I don't know. I don't take that that seriously. I, I think it's difficult and I, I will, you know, f- disclaimer, I have no background in this legal area at all. Like, <laughs> please do not <laughs> send me hate mail if I'm totally wrong, advice. but it's just like, it seems like it, it, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty legitimate threat. That's like, Hey, you gotta like you, you have to have this. It's, it's saying requirement for them to, to get the tax break. And I don't know if he's allowed to do that. Like, and it's just, again, this, uh, I, I guess, I guess my main point is this, the fact that we have to ask ourselves, was that illegal is another example of just how ridiculously dumb that tweet was because 
as a candidate for governor, the last thing you would want to do is to like say something that's like this epically stupid to the point where it gives your opponent an opening to ask the attorney general, hey, was that illegal to do? And everyone's answer is like, eh, I don't know. Like that's not good. It's not a good strategy. Let's uh, close on this question. I I come back to this question every time one of these culture war issues comes up. We've seen this with the fight over the adoption bill. We've seen this with other religious liberty proposals that uh, largely have been sponsored and pushed by friend of the pod Josh McCoon, and now we're seeing it in this debate over guns. Is there room for Democrats to become kind of the party of? at least the party of Georgia business or, or the party of just responsible governance in this void when conservatives are increasingly pointing their ire on businesses, liberal values and, and stomping all over conservative values. I think there's a, you know, a fine model that we can pursue. There's other Southern states that have done it in the past or are doing it. I mean, Virginia is a state that like, I would not say that, the Democrat governor there is rabidly anti-business. I mean, I think, I think it really just depends on if we can get our stuff together and provide a viable alternative that people understand. As we were talking about earlier with the Democrats splitting on the tax cut, it, you know, we don't really have a clear articulation of like what we would do if we were in charge. And I think it is very possible that they, uh, you know, businesses in Georgia could come to see Democrats as the party that's willing to invest in the future and the party that will uh, work with businesses and not have ridiculous, insane political litmus tests for them to you know jump through. And we will be more concerned about having an economy that works for everyone and getting good jobs to the state and you know educating everyone and making sure we have enough money to keep the lights on. And I think that you know could be a viable message, but we have to get our stuff together and start talking about that in a real way and be able to pitch that to the leaders of these companies. Because at the end of the day, I mean, they, you know, companies love to make money. So, you know, it's very easy for them to support Republicans when Republicans are like, we will cut your taxes and occasionally we will say stupid, insane crap. And most of the time we won't do anything, but we'll just say insane things. The real question is, are the Republicans going to start actually doing insane things? Because, I mean, that's what's happened in Washington, is that they have now empowered someone who is completely nuts. and Donald Trump does, has arrived. Yes, like and, and but they've also cut taxes, and so the businesses love that. So it's just like, it really just depends on, like, how much damage are they going to do. And I, I don't know. I don't know if they've done enough or threatened enough um, to do it but i will say i will be very shocked if who if if casey cagle makes it out of the primary uh if this is not a big deal in the um election and i you know i'm not gonna say that like casey cagle lost the election today and be a horrible pundit and be super annoying with that but it's just like i would be shocked if that's not like a question in a debate between him and the you know democratic gubernatorial opponent because it is not as small as some people might think it is, and we're not overblowing it because, like I said, even if this is not what Casey Cagle would do, it shows that he is—he feels that he has to talk to that 
uh, area of people and that he feels pressure from them to kowtow to them. And that's not going to bring the Amazons of the world to Georgia. Yeah, I always get split on this question a little bit. I think that there's kind of two models of being business friendly. There's the low tax model that I think to some extent may have run its course. I mean, when you look at what economists are saying about what companies will do with the tax reform in DC, a lot of it is going to be funneled into increasing dividend payments and in stock value for for shareholders. Um, but I don't know that there's a lot there that would actually support business investment that makes businesses more productive and more profitable. Um, and so, you know, another model of this is is sort of a workforce development model where you make sure that you have solid education and healthcare systems and um, all of the other things that you need, like reliable transportation that makes it easy for your workforce to get to work. And when you look at the stop, when you look at the rankings for the top states to do business, there's a couple of models that you'll find at the top. You'll find Georgia that has this sort of low tax, low small government model, and then you'll find Washington near the top, and they have a a higher tax model, but they have a higher investment model that's made cities like Seattle really uh, good places to live and places that people um, who are well-educated and talented, they want to live there and work there. And so companies like Amazon that we've talked about a lot have, have found a home there. So so I, I definitely think that there's room for Democrats there, but I think that Democrats have to be aware that, you know, just just giving away the game on taxes is not going to be good enough to be the, the, the pro-business party and that, you know, we're happy to make these investments and to support business growth in this way. Um, but it's going to require things like making sure that your employees are paid a livable wage, that you're not passing on, you know, insane healthcare costs to your employees, that employees are good corporate citizens and care about the needs of their workers. Um, and so, you know, I kind of go back and forth on all of the calls from Democrats to be like, oh, what is this going to do about Amazon coming to Georgia when there's been a lot of scrutiny on what it's like to be an Amazon employee? Um, and so, so I think that there's a balance there. And I think that there's room for Democrats to show that they're responsible, uh, but there's definitely um, a bargain that has to be struck between Democrats and businesses um, that doesn't require Democrats to, you know, give up supporting the people that the party claims to support. Otherwise, you get uh, a couple dozen Democrats voting for big tax cuts in states like Georgia. Um, So, you know, that'll be an interesting thing to see as it develops. Um, But we've been hitting this topic pretty hard for a while. How about we uh, turn it over to your interview? So here is Luke and John Noel. Hello and welcome to Peach Pog. I'm your host, Luke Boggs. I'm joined today by John Noel, who is the uh, candidate for Public Service Commission. And and what district are you running in? So it's called District 3, but it's a statewide race. Yeah, I've always found that weird that the Public Service Commission has districts, but they aren't actually districts. It's just everyone runs statewide. It's It's kind of a... confusing to Yes. Yeah, and uh, I remember uh, back in 2012 when I got uh, first really involved in politics, I met a Public Service Commissioner candidate. It was like the first statewide candidate I met. And I was like... I don't even know what this office does, and I've never heard of this in my entire life. And I think that's a, a lot of people's experience with it. So just to jump right in there, so like, what's the Public Service Commission do? Yeah. So the Public Service Commission was, uh, yeah, I don't know the exact date, but 100 plus years ago. I mean, it's that old. Uh, it's a regulatory body that was set up to uh, regulate 
the monopoly utility companies, the for-profit monopoly utility companies. So, example, Georgia Power. Georgia Power is pretty old, but they didn't get to just be the monopoly utility for a whole lot of the state without somebody overseeing them, regulating them, setting the rates, deciding what kind of power generation they were going to have, making other rules to them. And uh, so the theory was, over all these years, we would have a, uh, a body that was sort of the independent arbiter. They represented you and me and not the power company, because the power company represents itself. I mean, they're after their own interests and shareholders' interests. That's what they do. But what's happened over the years is the Public Service Commission has become subverted, really, uh, by the power company. And so now we have a commission that is essentially uh, an agent of the public, you know, of the public uh, utility company, which is supposed to be serving the public, but not, uh, you know, sold out to uh, the public service, the uh, the entities that it regulates, the Georgia Power entity it regulates. But that's one bit, energy. The other bit is uh, natural gas. And they regulate the, the costs that uh, Atlanta Gas and Light, now Southern Company Gas, can charge. Uh, it regulates rural telecom um, and has a hand in broadband. All this stuff. And you're like, what? And it used to, in fact, in the olden days, it was it regulated. I'm old enough. No, you're not. Mm. But I'm old enough to remember when it cost money to call from North Georgia to South Georgia. Or yeah. in my case, Tennessee. Uh, I had a girlfriend in East Tennessee, and I'd pick up the phone in Nashville and call this girlfriend, and it cost a few cents a minute. So they regulated that telecommunication stuff. They decided how much that charge was going to be in Georgia. Um, and that's, that's, that's one of the things that they did. They also regulated uh, interstate uh, travel, truck travel, until there was a federal law that sort of subverted all that. But the point is, 90% of it right now, is it's all about Georgia Power all the time. And the gas stuff... That's a whole other issue that I want to I want to talk about, but a lot of people find that that's uh, kind of getting drowned out by this Vogel nuclear plant stuff. Yeah, which I know a lot of people have been pretty unhappy with that, and uh, really wanting to move away from uh, the complications that that project has had. And so, um, complications is a polite way of saying. Well, I try to be polite on this program. Yeah, no, you know, I want people to come back, so yeah. I have to I have to yeah. kind of be nice. Yeah. Well, you you do, and I don't. Well, okay. Uh, and, so and, in that and, case, and, and, and I'll and I'll uh, you know I'll just I'll throw it the way I think I see call it the way I see it. And uh, one of the problems with having a public service commission, in my, the case of my opponent Chuck Eaton, um, who lives in Buckhead in Atlanta, ninety-five uh, percent of his political contributions come from the entities he regulates. So the law firms for Georgia Power. I think Power, you should repeat that. Ninety-five. Yeah, ninety-five, and I'd say a hundred, except I'm giving his dad a pass. His <laughs> father gave him six thousand six hundred dollars, which is the maximum contribution allowed, uh, in one of the disclosures that I saw. And I, you know that's cool. My dad gave me money too. I'm good with that. Yeah. Dads get a pass. Yeah, of course. But everybody else that gave him money, I can't see how they're not connected to entities he makes decisions on and regulates. The Ringgold Telephone Cooperative, whatever, right. this CEO gave him $6,600. He makes rules every day 
that impact the Ringgold Telephone Cooperative. So when you have entities that are that are so closely tied and they are and they're everybody's intermingled and the decisions are made by it, it is no wonder that you have five O decisions to continue with a nuclear boondoggle that was supposed to cost fourteen billion dollars was supposed to be done last year nineteen uh, two thousand sixteen. We're not even fifty percent done. And it's doubling the price, doubling the timeline, and these guys rubber stamp it and let them make a profit the whole time. Woo! Not on my watch. Yeah, and that that I think sums up what has been the biggest complaint that I've heard about the Public Service Commission, and I think the only thing that has actually put that uh, body on the radar of many Georgians is the Plant Vogel situation, um, because before then, no one really talked about Public Service Commission. Um, and so, for that, I want to ask uh, what I think might be an unorthodox question for a candidate like you, which is, what's something that the Public Service Commission has done that you think is good? To kind of have the starting point of, like, what's that's something great question. that's good they've done, yeah. and then so we can talk about the All things right, we don't fair. like. That's fair. I'll give you an example of the power of the Public Service Commission. Um, Georgia Power has, for years, said, Georgia's not good for solar. That's like a literal quote. Um, and I mean not just a few years. I mean a couple decades. Ever since solar became cost-effective, Georgia's not good for solar. We can't do solar. Let's don't do solar. And then the PSC commissioners that were parroting at that, Stan Wise, you know, who's just the worst, thankfully, is uh, uh, has resigned. Um, so he can go, quote, uh, work for the utility company to, quote, help people. Oh, that's fascinating. So you regulate them, then you go work for them, because you're going to help people, obviously. My point is, uh, the utility companies, all these guys have been opposed to it. So where's the good part? Well, the good part is one public service commissioner, uh, Bubba McDonald, longtime legislator, used to be a Democrat turned Republican. He said he got a bee in his bonnet and said, you know, my grandchildren would like some solar power. We need some green power. Very interesting. Very progressive. And he basically forced down the throat of Georgia Power solar, megawatts, lots of them, you know, hundreds of megawatts. And so you see Georgia Power running around, running ads saying, oh, we're green. If you get on their website, you'd think they were the Sierra Club. (laughs) It's solar and all kinds of great green stuff. They don't care. They don't want this stuff. Um, And so, but they're doing it because Public Service Commission told them to do it. And Bubba got two other votes, and by golly, they started doing solar power. Now, it's becoming more cost-effective. So there, there, there may be an evolution occurring in Georgia Power, but it's all about the money. It's not about the green. And so, and I can't speak Well, it to, is about the green, just a different green. Well, <laughs> just a different green. Yeah. <laughs> point taken, sir. Yes. Uh, but my point is that the Public Service Commission in that made a right move. They did the right thing. They moved our infrastructure from 0% solar to like 2%. I know it sounds inconsequential, but it's a big deal. Um, and we can move so much faster, so much farther, but we're not. I mean, whatever Bubba got done, which was great, it isn't enough. Uh, so there's there, the Public Service Commission can do good. It's just they are so good at doing ill right now. Uh, the, the, the classic example on the gas side, I just heard this story. I couldn't believe it. Developer doing a big island, you know, an island off the coast. Can't remember the island. Uh, he wants to build all these houses, wants to bring gas. Well, it's expensive to bring from the mainland to an island natural gas lines. There's something called the Universal Service Fund, which is supposed to help poor people pay their gas bill. You know, they figure out a method to do that, figure out which 
people to do and whatever else. But the idea is it's for needy people. This universal service fund, we all pay into it eh, roughly $10, $20 million a year. They decide to use this money to help subsidize a private developer's uh, uh, AGL, the Atlanta Gas Light Company, to bury this line under there and bring up new service to this to this private development. So they took money that was supposed to be allocated for poor folks to pay gas bills for this project. It's the kind of stuff you can't make up. And they're doing these little insidious things all the time. Another example, and I'm on a roll, I'm just going to keep going. The Georgia Power Bill. I happen to have one right here in my pocket because I always carry it around. I, I will I will affirm that he does have a Georgia Power yes, Bill Yes, this pocket. is not a random piece of paper because I'm always talking about the nuclear construction cost recovery fee, which we're all paying in our bills for the last six years, but that's a whole other can of worms. The reason I have the bill is for that and that there's a little uh, barcode on one of the, on one of the, uh, the stubs and all across Georgia – people that didn't have bank accounts, and by the way, that's a lot of people, want to go to the Georgia Power office and pay their bill. I mean, a lot of people. They have closed every local and regional office in Georgia. Cost-saving move. But don't worry, Mr. Customer. It's okay. You can go to a Dollar General or a Walmart and just take off that stub, and there's a barcode on it, and you can scan it and pay your bill there. Just pay this service fee of $1.50. So now i got to pay to pay my bill. It's another little insidious tax, especially for people, many of them poor, who don't have banking relationships, and they just got to pay again to pay. And they, because they don't have an office to walk into, they can't talk to Bill Smith there, who's been there for 30 years and can help with that power line down the street. They got to call a customer service number. Well, what are they thinking? And why did the Public Service Commission let them do that? Nip, not on my watch. We're going to get those offices opened in the rural areas so people actually have a person to go talk to. Yeah. Well, I usually at this point would ask someone, like, why they are running for the office that they're running for. But I think uh, you've hit that pretty thoroughly. Uh, listen, you're, I'm on this, yeah, man. It's like you're, you're, pretty, you're pretty unhappy with what the Public Service Commission is doing. And the, dig, um, and the more you dig, the madder you get. Yeah, I can definitely uh, sense that because um, while I was – Vaguely aware of most of what you've brought up, the the exact details have been elusive to me uh, mm. because I have not had the uh, time to dig into it. Um, mm. So to uh, hit on a, a different topic, one of the things that uh, your team sent me over was a video of you on uh, being Tesla or uh, something Tesla. Oh, like Tesla, like, yeah, like yeah, Tesla, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. your house, which is just basically uh, what I imagine you would want the whole state to look like, and sort <laughs> yeah. of like the end goal of what your uh, you know t- term in a public service commission would be. Yeah. So, would you like to just talk about what um, made you want to make your house so green, and just right. sort of the steps you had to take, and just um, the feasibility? of trying to push something like that statewide? Right. That's a, that's that's a big question. No, it's a, yeah. it's, it's a big question. But uh, the video he's referring to is entitled Stick it to the, Sticking It to the Man. Um, Which we've been doing this whole program. And, <laughs> yeah. and Right. Well, guess what? The man's been sticking it to us. I think it's – and as I say in that video, I mean, I, I'm sorry to parrot it, but I think it's time to, to equal the scales or, or, or to tilt the scales. Um, this to understand this, I'm an electric car owner. I happen to have a Tesla, and the reason I got I loved my Leaf. I loved my Leaf, but I needed range. I mean, I, yeah, I can't drive very far on Leaf, so I needed range, and I ended up having to pay for Tesla, which first by broke my heart and my bank account. But anyway, I digress. My point here is that uh, because I was a Tesla owner, I was at an EV car show. I met this couple, 
and you see the video. They happened to be taping me at the time. I had no idea they were. And and I was saying, I want to stick it to my solar system and my battery pack, which is why they wanted to... I have the first Tesla Powerwall in Georgia. So I'm grabbing the sun from the solar panels, throwing it in a battery. I'm about to show it to you on my phone as we speak. Um, and you put it up on the site with, with the podcast if you care to. Yeah. Um, and uh, what's happening is it fills my battery during the day. My house uses the excess juice, fills the battery during the day, and at nighttime I run off a battery. It's so cool. And so they said, well, we want to see the Tesla Powerwall. People say, that's a great campaign video. And I'm like, it's not a campaign video. It's like a, a, a fan club channel. And I, they just showed up in my house. And I'm like, oh, we got this green thing. And I got this green thing. And I got this green thing. So sticking it to the man um, has become a, a, major, a major deal. And there you can see, as we, as we take this, uh, do this audio, it's the afternoon. It's been cloudy. It's been rainy. At the top, you see the solar power uh, being generated. And it's less because it's late in the afternoon and yeah. it's cloudy. Uh, my home consumption... And then uh, the power wall actually is contributing at this point because the solar production isn't enough. But right. that'll run for hours that way. I want my whole my whole thinking behind and doing that video and doing subsequent videos. Uh, I have a one minute video of where I was about to go to an event and I was I had excess power, real lot of excess power, and so I just walked outside and I had my assistant with me and I said, "Hey, uh, just turn on the video." So I cut like a 57 second little little vid and it was like hey i walked over the house to get some soup and next thing you know i'm charging the car from the sun because my batteries are full and right. all the excess capacity the batteries are like oh we're full we got to sell back to the grid well guess what georgia power doesn't pay you much money in fact they they stick it to you oh what a what a surprise they stick it to you and pay you 3.2 cents per kilowatt hour what does that mean you and I buy at about 10 cents a kilowatt hour. So they pay at a third what you buy the power for, for your excess power. Sounds like Georgia Power. Sounds like Georgia Power. <laughs> yeah. So so what do I do? I filled the battery. Well, my battery happened to be full. So what I did was I turned on the car, started eating up some of that juice, and all the ex, all that all that power, there's a lot coming out of the panels, went whoop into the car. So my car was the next battery source. And it wasn't going to fill up because that was a big battery. Right. So... All this stuff. We've got technology out there. We've got Elon Musk kind of thinking. And we've got dinosaurs sitting on the Public Service Commission. Burning dinosaur fuel. How convenient. Coal yeah. and natural gas and even nuclear. You say, oh, well, it's splitting atoms, blah, blah, blah. Baloney. You're just heating water to turn a steam turbine. You've been doing it for 100 years. I mean, nuclear's been around for 50 or whatever. So I want to just leapfrog all that stuff. I want to go to solar, batteries, and uh, and let's be innovative. But my company of 20 freaking years has been doing energy efficiency. So while Georgia Power wants you to buy a watt and then they get to make roughly 10 percent on that. So every dollar you spend, they're making 10 percent on you. I want 10 percent profit. You mean. Profit. Yeah, yeah. I want you to spend less. I want your hundred dollar bill to go to 75. And they're like, well, we can't do that. Well, the heck I can't. My job is to look after ratepayers and taxpayers. That and Public Service Commission's job, their job is to make more money. They're good at doing that. Let them do it. My job is to save you money. So sitting on the Public Service Commission, that's what I want to do. Yeah, so let's talk about that because yeah. one of the things um, that uh, I did realize in watching that video and thinking about myself because, you know, this is the first time we met. And so, uh, 
you know, you have no way of knowing, but like, I'm totally like super into green energy. I, you know, really, when I saw your house, I was just geeking out. Cause I'm like, that is the house I'd like to have in like 30 years. Cause just like all that kind of stuff is like really cool to me. I, and I care about the energy efficient savings, but also the green stuff. So I think we're on the same page there. However, what you definitely know and what I knew just looking into it a little bit, it's super expensive to make the house that you, the way you've made your house. So what are like, concrete steps that you think as public service commissioner that you would be able to help Georgians and do you think it is more of a macro solution and that like we need to start looking into expanding um, Georgia's green energy sources we need to have more solar fields all that kind of stuff or is it that the public service commission needs to start serving an advocacy slash education role where you're going around the state uh-huh. and saying like, hey this is how you can do this uh-huh. yourself right. and I know you're probably going to say both yeah. So, yeah. No, uh, so I'm just yeah. kind of curious, like, what would be your priority? Like, what do you think will help more the state and the commission, all that, you know? All so uh, I say it in the sticking it to the man video. If you stuck around in the video, I mean, you, know, you I can't do, memorize yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. But uh, let's say in minute 14. Right. I mean, way in the end, I say the most efficient. The best thing you can do is reduce your usage. Right. Get a Nest thermostat. That thing is huge. I get on my phone. I'm like, I'm away from the house. Why is the air conditioner on? Turn it down. Right. Um, So a Nest thermostat remote control is awesome. When I go around the state, after I'm elected as public service commissioner, when I go around the state, I'm going to turn people on to little plugs that you can stick in front of the plug. You know, like little, they're they're about the size of like a, uh, an iPhone charger plug, you know, the little square thing. Um, they're about that size, but you plug whatever it is, uh, you know, your heater in your room or your whatever, uh, into that, and from your phone you can turn on or off that switch. It's a switch control. And so what I do is I turn on or off the heater in my office before I get to the office. And 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 when power rates are lower because there's variable rates, sometimes there's an EV charging rate and there's real time pricing and all this other stuff. At least Georgia Power has this. Many EMCs don't. Uh, I I juice up between 11 and 7 a.m. Heck, my hot water heater only turns on at night because electricity is cheap, and it's a capacity utilization thing. Woo, that's a big word. Um, there's a capacity utilization thing, which means we have all these plants to power all this stuff, but we're not using any power at midnight. Everybody right. sleep. So Georgia Power makes electricity really cheap, and that's when I juice up my car, and that's when I turn my hot wa- electric hot water tank on and juice it up. So like 80% of my energy use is in the super off-peak rate, which is super cheap. Right. And all that is done by a little remote control stuff, and it's simple. Man, I'm a total geek. I would love – I want to go around the state and do the education piece. And that drives down the energy consumption, and it attacks efficiency. And once you've done that, for those that can afford it or those that are interested, and by the way, prices coming down on solar a lot, then you switch to the solar solution. You've, you've, you've halved your energy consumption, and you're like, well, I need a smaller solar system now, and battery prices have fallen 50% since I bought them. Right. They will. I mean, I, a Tesla costs a ton of money. My brother, who works for Tesla Energy out on the West Coast, he bought his car, which, I, in my opinion, does almost the same thing my car, for half the money three years later. Well, what in three years, what's it going to cost? Half the money. It's like microchips. Price goes down. Things get cheaper by the dozen. So prices are going to fall. I'm an early adopter. Great. Let me be the early adopter. The guy that buys it or the lady that buys it after me buys it cheaper, and that's a good thing. So efficiency, 
then go buy the green stuff um, after when it's cheaper. Yeah. And one thing I want to you know, round back on, though, even on the efficiency piece, though, most of the yeah. stuff that you're talking about requires technological literacy, which unfortunately a lot of people that's in the rural education Georgia, part. It, that's well, the education well part. also they don't even have access yeah. to internet down there due to rural broadband issues oh. and, you know, just, well that's the other thing the public service commission can do right and these and these guys and i you know that government just makes me so mad <laughs> can't you tell um yeah. these guys are collecting a check they're warming a chair and they're not doing their job and they're doing their job badly right <laughs> not doing their job they're doing their job badly so we've got we've got uh they they collect uh i don't know 10 20 10 20 million dollars a year and essentially a universal service fund for rural broadband right for internet i don't know what they're doing with it i i, I honestly don't know and they're sure not leveraging it to get more money. They're sure not going to Waycross and to the counties around there saying, hey, uh, you know, you all want this. Yeah, 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 we want it. Uh, well, okay, well, why don't we put a consortium together and then bid it out as a large package? What happens now is every little city or every little county says, we're going to get broadband. And they, if they can cobble together the money or a federal grant, they do it. Nobody is bringing together a collaborative effort. And under the banner of the Public Service Commission, you could do that. Nobody's doing it. I got lots of time on my hands. This is a mission for me. And rural Georgia, I grew up on a farm. I get it. I, I you know, like this idea of, of, uh, of, you know, I live in the city. Yeah, I drive a fancy car. Maybe I'm more of a city slicker now, but I was a rural. I mean, I, I grew up on a farm. And I get into these rural areas, and I see, I see people that cannot, they can't, they, they can't get access to health care. That's a whole other issue. The hospitals are all closing. Schools, yeah, they got internet in schools, but then when they get home, they don't have internet. And what couple? You, you know, you'll you'll marry one day, presumably. I mean, whatever it is, and 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 uh, and have kids and whatever. Where do you want to live? You're going to live in a place with the internet. You're going to live in a city with the internet. You don't even have the option. And so, and I hear this from people. This isn't like my hypothesis. Younger, smart people are getting the heck out, and it's very hard uh, for for rural communities to make a go of it. So, rural broadband is like a major push for me. Uh, but I got to fight one battle at a time, and I got a major battle here that's costing people money on Vogel. So I'm going to fight that. It's like a two-front war, and we haven't even gotten a natural gas yet. Yeah. Well, on Vogel, since people are more familiar with that, yeah. and there really doesn't seem to be a solution besides keep doing it. Like, right. what what is sort of what end game do you think they should be pursuing on the Public Service Commission? Uh, plant it, Vogel? Well, at this point, it's like no choice is great. Uh, but the best choice is to not throw good money after bad. Right. South Carolina, as you'll recall, uh, and Vogel, for those you remember it, it's, it's the second phase. Of, this is Reactor 3 and 4 of a nuclear plant in Burke County on the Savannah River uh, south of uh, Augusta that is being built. And uh, in 2008, they said it'd be finished in 2016. They said $14 billion. Here we are. It's 38% complete. That was a few months ago. Um, and uh, they've asked for $25 billion, which really 28 but now they've taken the $3 billion. I'm throwing a lot of numbers at people, but they've taken the $3 billion settlement they got from Toshiba, and they've applied that, and it's $25 billion. Oh, wait, wait. My point is the numbers have gone out of control. The timeline's gone out of control. You can't trust any of the, of the timelines they give or the numbers you give. So now we're just going to get further and further and further down the road, and then, and then a year or two from now, they're going to be, um, you know, we're a little behind schedule, and uh, it's going to go up a few billion dollars. This plant, mark my words, will end up being a $40 billion plant. You will be paying for the rest of your life and potentially your children. They're talking about that. And when, and when it's done, if it ever is done, for the privilege of having this nuclear power plant, you will pay 10.5% rate increase 
today's numbers, by their own estimation, which you can't trust, which translates into it'll be more money down the road. It just... <laughs> yeah, but what we do? Like, what you pull, we do it, pull the plug. Pull just, the plug. Pull just, the plug. We yeah. got $8 billion in right now. We just got a $3 billion check. It came in like December 15th from Toshiba. The Japanese made good on their commitment. And they did a settlement. George Powers' lawyers are really good. Trust me. They got good lawyers. So we got a $3.1 billion settlement check in the mail <laughs> in December 15th. And the Public Service Commission had to decide what to do. And we had buried $8 billion in this project. My vote would have been take the take that three, pay it off the of the eight, and and eat the five billion dollar bath. It's better to 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 have five billion dollars that you flush down the toilet for a bunch of hunk of steel than to find out years down the road we got a nuclear power plant that we don't even need. We don't need the power. We're going to get to that in a second, and it's overpriced. The Republican state senator from Rome. Just two weeks ago, I couldn't believe it. I was fall out of my chair when I heard him say it. When those power plants go online, they will be three times the cost of electricity than a comparable solar farm would be. Three right. times. So it's not even economic. What industrial plant is going to want to come to Georgia when the rates are going up? So it's uneconomic, and it's going to have a negative impact on our economy. I'd rather take the $5 billion and write that off. That's what South Carolina did. So right now, these knuckleheads at the PSC have created a situation where we are the last nuclear power plant, maybe in the free Western world, that's under construction. Everybody else has looked at the math and go, this is an ugly situation, but it is better to pull the plug and walk away now than to get buried and buried and buried in it. That's the answer. And it's not a happy one. There's a lot of union jobs down there. I've ridden some of those RV farms. You know, They have whole fields of RV uh, vehicles where people live because there's no housing down there. Half are out-of-state tags. So the question is, how many are really Georgia jobs? You right. know, that's one question. Um, but why don't we train people up on solar and offshore wind, you know, over-the-horizon wind and all this kind of stuff? My business efficiency of uh, 18 years, in my, and I've been in the industry for over 20, um, I've, watched, I've watched this stuff, and I'm like, wait a minute. In 2008, we used so much power, uh, 140. 48 million, I like saying gigawatt, gigawatts, 150 gigawatt, gigawatts. I just make up a thing because nobody knows what it means anyway. But we used 150 million units of power. Right. In 2015, we used 149, which means in seven years, we used less, just slightly less power in the whole state of Georgia, electricity, by all sources of using, um, than we did seven years before. So if electricity use isn't growing, why are we building this nuclear power plant again? Something to think about. It's a real problem. I mean, this stuff's bad. And, and, and there's a lot of reasons why it's declined. You and I use LED light bulbs instead of incandescent ones. The number of people, when I look out in a crowd and I say, I say uh, how many people you know, you replace that hot 75-watt incandescent light bulb with an LED from Home Depot? Almost every hand goes up. Right. Everybody's done it. It's pretty universal. Right. Point. So that means their power usage is going down slightly. And I, as, as my hand goes down, yeah. well, your neighbor just built a house on an empty piece of grass next to you. Well, that power use went up, right? There was no energy consumption there before. But the net effect is of the existing housing and building stock is energy use has gone down. 
new construction just gets overwhelmed by all that, you end up having an, a net zero increase. Right. And now we're and so when they sold us the nuclear power plant, they said power consumption was going to go up. That wasn't true. They said natural gas rates would be high, and we need nuclear because natural gas generation was going to be expensive. That didn't pan out. They didn't listen to the environmentalists who said, you know, efficiency is actually efficiency is going to have a big impact. They didn't listen. So. Whatever. I, 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 you know, there's so much to go on this thing. I'd wear you out. Just keep talking about it. But, but the point is that the Public Service Commission's job is to be watching after this. We're supposed to be innovative thinkers. We're supposed to be on the cutting edge. We're supposed to be the advocates for people. We're none of those things right now. Right. That's why I want this job. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I think that sums it up qu- quite well. And uh, we're reaching the end of the time we had a log again. So uh, how I always like to end these conversations is just flipping the table and having you ask me something. So what question you know, would you like me to have? I'd ask you, uh, you're doing podcast stuff. How do you, how are you going to, because I'm a business person. Right. How are you going to monetize this? That is a conversation that we have been having for a long time and we yeah. have not figured out because it's not, you know, how how most podcasts monetize themselves are you know they get advertisers get and, followers advertisers yeah because yeah, you, you build right. up a subscribe you build up a subscriber base you show that to an advertiser right. and then they uh, they you know pay you to run the ad or what most podcasts do they pay you per new subscriber they get so you know like Harry's is a razor service that um, you know like they'll they'll give you some of the money oh, yeah, for right, right. each, each uh, new subscriber they get uh-huh. so that's that's sort of like the idea right. that you monetize it well so, I'm rooting for you Luke yeah I appreciate it you know because like and one thing I, you know I'd say on that it's like that would be great but really honestly this is sort of uh, I feel like it's a public service and a hobby that's the two categories yeah, I put again because it. the public service side is like eh, it's hard to get a hold of people like you for yeah. most people and yeah. you know you're not going to be able to go to every county in the state so and also, a lot of times, the conversations that uh, candidates have are far more about, like, oh, where are your poll numbers? How's your fundraising? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. like, all, and talking points, which sucks yeah. and is yeah. not really what people want to know. Yeah. They want to know exactly what we talked about, which yeah. is, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, what's wrong? Like, that's what people want to hear. And so there's that side. And then I also just enjoy doing this, and it's fun, and it's a good hobby, and it, um, you know, gives me an opportunity to have fun conversation. Well, thank so, you for doing it. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate your uh, team reaching out to me. I appreciate you doing the show. I hope, uh, you know, uh, you keep uh, keeping your race interesting and I uh, look forward to seeing what happens with it. Thank you, Mr. Boggs. Thank you. All right. So, Luke, uh, thanks for that uh, awesome talk with John Knoll. Uh, do you have any thoughts to close us out before we get out of here today? I hope this was as cathartic for you guys as it was for me because I, ne- I needed, needed to... Uh, express all of these thoughts about all of this insanity going on. Yeah, uh, it it has been an insane week. And I mean, this was a legislative session that was kind of supposed to hinge on whether or not uh, Speaker Ralston could push through big legislation on the rural development front and whether or not we could kind of tag team some uh, rural development economic issues and challenges along with solving transportation problems in Atlanta. And I think that the thing that we're going to remember out of this session is uh, Kegel and Delta's little fight. Um, yeah. Though we did have some uh, some good transit bill 
go go yeah. through. So it looks like we're going to do some on transit, but we'll we'll talk about that next yeah, week. Yeah. So uh, we we will catch up on crossover day and and all the other stuff going on next week. Uh, but for now, we will let y'all get out of here. Uh, so we will talk to you guys next week. Bye, guys. That's our show for the week. If you like what you heard, share the show with a friend and go over to iTunes and give us a rating or a review. It really helps other people find our show. We'll be back with another episode of Peach Pod next week. Until then, take care, y'all.